Let's talk about Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well, there's no easy way, there's no way to ease into the topic of the amount of sexual assault that's going on in our beloved film industry. <laughs> I, I, I should say entertainment film industry, industry, really. Yeah, I guess that's true. Ugh. But it, no, the, the Kevin Spacey thing, obviously he's a monster, but I, it, Ridley Scott's also a monster because <laughs> Go ahead. he's got this movie coming out, Awards Beatty. I think it's called like All the Cash in the Planet. And <laughs> No, it's All the Dough in the Galaxy. Okay, all the dough in the galaxy. It's the, it's and, the it's the rip from the headlines, not rip from the headlines, but the true story mm-hmm. of the kidnapping of a Getty heir, a, a, a heir to the Getty fortune. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Spacey plays J. Paul Getty, who uh, famously kind of refused to negotiate with the terrorists and then tried to <laughs> tried to negotiate them down rather mm-hmm. than try to save the life of his grandson. But yeah, it's in line with all these other prestige you know pictures that win Oscars every year. Yep, and so Kevin Spacey was playing the. John Paul Getty, and he was under like ten pounds of makeup and special effects to look like John Paul Getty. Yeah, puts on a Texas accent. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this was a huge Oscar contender until obviously all this truth came out about Kevin Spacey. Uh, and so Ridley Scott, being the businessman that he is, is like, well, I'm not abandoning this project. No, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get Chris Plummer and I'm gonna bring back Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams. We're gonna reshoot everything in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna use digital effects. He's a goblin in this instance. He's Ridley Scott's a goblin. So he's like, yes, we're gonna, because I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna let this sit on a shelf. No, I need my, I need my precious awards. Yeah, he's, I need to get my Gollum. money back. Yeah, he's Gollum in this case, and the Oscars are his precious. <laughs> yes, it's just like let it let. Just let it sit on a shelf. You know, the movie's done. Just, like, abandon it. Give it up. <laughs> that's what No one cares. Yeah, that's what they're going to do with I Love You, Daddy, which, uh, based on the reviews, should be right, rightfully shelved for the rest of time. <laughs> exactly. It's not like this is a huge artistic achievement. This is a middle-brow <laughs> movie. Okay, well, John, I mean, preserve your judgment until you actually see it. And then no, you find out it's, on, the most, it's, it's the most rele- revelatory uh, movie since uh, Harold and Maude. I don't know. <laughs> oh, please, come on. Ugh, I just yeah, I, I, like this is ridiculous. I know, yeah. This is where this is where the the insidious nature of business and commerce, like, has which has in a way fostered this terrible cycle of abuse and patri- patriarchy, kind well, of rears its well, ugly head again. And that's and this is where I feel terrible because I'm getting more righteously indignant about this than the actual sexual assault. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean I. You know, God, God bless them. Um, I believe it's Sony Pictures or whatever. If they think they can turn this around in two weeks, <laughs> completely excising uh, Kevin Spacey from their movie. I mean, God I bless them. God bless the Orchard too, and every other company that's cut ties with Louis C.K. In light of those revelations, I mean, mm. this is. I mean, even if it's not brought to court, I mean, it it deserves punishment. And he seems to be getting that. Is it to save face, or is it to like keep them from getting residuals? Like, is this to stop them from getting future earnings from these movies, or is it just kind of? No, like no, no, no. Face? It's all PR. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, I. The Orchard was not going to get Buffo box office from <laughs> "I Love You, Daddy." I don't know. A, a lot of people love Manhattan, and they love Woody Allen. <laughs> Wonder Wheel coming in December. Yeah. Oh, I wonder. I don't even know who distributes Woody Allen movies anymore, but Amazon. And oh, that's right. And they were they were doing so well. Absolutely, they're another company that. Oh, well, they've got money to burn again. They could just put it on a shelf. <laughs> they could save face, but no. They're gonna be just they're gonna be, on prime. Yeah, in, yeah, they're gonna be infecting every bit of our lives anyway, so we'll, we won't have a choice. <laughs> we won't be we can't be like, oh, purchasing this product makes me feel icky because <laughs> we'll have nowhere yeah. else to go. <laughs> uh, 
Welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, <laughs> where we flippantly <laughs> discuss the the hot topics of the day, insensitively discuss the hot topics of the day. Yes. Speaking of hot topics, Justice League <laughs> is opening Good soon. One. Yes, I see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> High five. And so we decided to revisit one of the original DC superheroes, probably the most popular superhero of film history, I would say. Oh, absolutely. He's gone mm-hmm. through 10 iterations at this point. <laughs> He's like James Bond at this point. Everyone has a different actor that grew up playing him. Yeah. So we decided to revisit the Tim Burton film, Batman. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. I have to say it like that. Batman. Batman. 1989. <laughs> a good year for movies? A uh, good year for summer movies. For blockbusters, oh, okay. let's say. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And UHF. <laughs> ah, yes. The brilliant UHF. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, I think I've seen this before, but it had been so long, I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, this is so a... that's why I wanted to revisit it. Yeah, me too, because I, like, remember the latter half. Mm-hmm. Or I remember particular scenes, which makes me think I was just, like, flipping through cable and catching this movie in, in bits and pieces rather than as a whole. And yeah, thank goodness which... we, we captured it as a whole. <laughs> well, now I kind of understand why, because as a whole, it doesn't really work. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I guess we should probably explain, this is barely a movie. <laughs> As Tim Burton said himself, it is less a movie than a corporate behemoth. <laughs> and yeah, so like, things like story and character are kind of beside the point. Yeah. And also nostalgia, the, too. I mean, well, I mean, at this point, Batman wasn't the cultural icon that he was now. No. And I think looking back, this movie probably helped propel him to the status that he is at today. I'm I'm speaking as if he's a real person instead of a fictional character, <laughs> but like the legacy of this movie pro- outweighs its quality quite a bit because Definitely. this is a very shaggy movie. Um, there's a very basic tenet of storytelling which you've all, pro- probably all heard of, but I'm going to repeat for you. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, and then principle. Yes. If the uh, plot points of your movie are connected with and then, you're telling a very boring story. Your story beat should be a. Uh, punctuated with a therefore and a but yeah so and this movie is just a series of and thens the joker does this and then batman does that yeah. and then and it is just it's just so boring story-wise there's nothing going on yeah because yeah it barely functions as like as things you expect like i love your james bond analogy mm-hmm. because that that's what it brought to mind for me because again we've been through eight or nine iterations of this character we've seen so many different versions of him from light and campy to dark and serious and so and everything in between and Mm -hmm. so i i was picturing it in a james bond movie which has had kind of similar things like it's been campy at times it's been dark and brooding at times Mm -hmm. and but there's a very there's a very strict structure that james bond movies follow and so like you have the same expectations you have an opening scene that's kind of disconnected from the main plot but kind of sets the tone then you have an opening credit sequence, and then you have like the introduction to the mission, and he meets uh, with his authority M, and they have, and then Money Penny, and oh, there's some light dialogue there, and then we go to our first, you know, and then we start globe trotting, 
mm-hmm. but like you said, there there are there are complications in there. <laughs> so yeah. that it, like it's not just one scene following another without kind of forward momentum or purpose. But this, like, we literally start on. We don't even start with Batman. <laughs> the no. first the first few scenes of the movie are with our villain and our love interest. And I was no. trying to picture like imagine, like what's the biggest uh, Bond movie now? Skyfall. Yeah. Imagine. Skyfall started with uh, Silva um, stealing the, like, hacking and stealing the classified list of, of double agents around the world. <laughs> and then we go to, uh, do you remember the Bond lady in that movie? She's working for, like, a casino magnate or something like that. Like, imagine uh... she's just, like, pottering around, like, Hong Kong. <laughs> and you think, yeah. like, that's insane. Like, <laughs> Skyfall would be half the like, would be, like, not even half as good as it was. <laughs> If he did that, that's what this Batman movie is. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's so weird. I mean, Jack Nicholson plays the Joker, and he's top built. Yeah, and he's the star of the show. He's the star of the movie, and Batman is the B plot in his own movie. <laughs> John, not even the B plot. He's the C plot. Yeah, because we don't even see we don't even see his Bruce Wayne character until about twenty minutes into the movie, and even then, he's kind of such a nothing presence. <laughs> no, he, like the Bruce Wayne that Michael Keaton is playing here is so milk toast. He's so like a non-entity. Yeah. There's there's a lot of different ways you can play Bruce Wayne. You can play up the kind of playboy attitude, the cavalier. And instead Michael Keaton plays him as like a lonely nerd who's kind of like alone in his house, who's yeah, just he's... kind of like but we we see him like throw this lavish party as a fundraiser. So it's like clearly he's like a man about town sometimes, but most of the t- and and the only reason we know he's a weirdo, quote unquote, is cuz other characters call him a weirdo. So, I don't know, it's a very strange characterization for him. You're right. I mean, initially he's a little, like, antisocial. Mm-hmm. Or, again, enigmatic, because people don't know who he is. Like, again, we're following Vicky Vale, our love interest, at this party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is another element to get to. I guess the reason the party <laughs> exists is because <laughs> Gotham City wants to put on a 200 uh, a bicentennial celebration. Mm-hmm. And, like, it has little shades of Jaws, like, oh, we have to put on a July 4th, otherwise the, the island will close. But here, Gotham City, it means nothing to Gotham, Gotham City. Again, I don't know why it's essential, but anyway, we'll get, to, we'll get to those story problems later. But Vicki Vale plays an intrepid photographer and reporter, and she wants to meet Bruce Wayne, and so she runs into Michael Keaton, who's playing Bruce Wayne. She doesn't know who he, who he is, but he's like, oh, yeah, let's go look for him, or something like that. And here I was, I was expecting, like, him to put on the charm. Yeah, or something like that, or um, to at least explain or like explain some of the things, because then they walk into an, an ornate room with a b- tons of suits of armor or something like that. But he's not talking. He's not <laughs> characterizing or like again delivering any presence. <laughs> no. And it's not until another character comes in who's like, "Oh, this is Bruce Wayne," and it, like suddenly we're supposed to be like shocked, like, "Whoa, <laughs> the boring man who again didn't say anything earlier." <laughs> Well, and again, it's kind of emblematic of the first scene where we're introduced to Batman, which, in principle, I thought was kind of clever, but again, they stretch it out and kind of, like, ruin the whole tension. Yeah. The very first scene that we're introduced to Batman, we see a mother and father getting their son out of the theater. The Monarch Theater. I don't know if that... And people, yeah, again, without nerd culture being what it is, people know that it's the Monarch Theater, but... Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, like, if there weren't some... If they weren't making it so painfully obvious that this wasn't Thomas and Martha Wayne, we would maybe think that, oh, maybe this is the origin story. Maybe yeah. this is Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not because these people are dressed very casually. And also, at one point, he says, Harold, Harold, yeah. you don't know where you're going. 
Everyone again, knows was, Thomas Wayne, dude. Come on. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I was wondering in, in 1989 when there weren't Saturday morning, like eight different Saturday morning cartoon shows and ten different movies. <laughs> like, would people know? They would just know. Like, how familiar would people be with Bruce Wayne's origin story? Mm-hmm. Like, would they know but, Thomas and Martha Wayne? Exactly. And so we follow them. We see them get mugged, but they don't get shot. They just get robbed, and then yeah. the robbers go away, uh, leave. And then you see Batman in the shadows start lurking, start following them. And then they ca- casually start up a conversation, talking over their winnings, like, have you heard about this big bat creature? <laughs> That's the other problem, too. Yeah, this is like a 50s movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, they're playing to the cheap seats. <laughs> Very true. There's a lot of uh, histrionics, like yeah. a lot of diction. Yeah. <laughs> I think at one point, the mayor goes like, I don't care if I have to get a shotgun and get everyone to go to this parade. This parade is happening. <laughs> it's like ridiculous lines like that. Yeah. And so this first scene that Batman's introduced, it's just so protracted. And it's like, they could have really played with your expectations, making you think that this is really Thomas and Martha Wayne. And then, oh, all of a sudden, Batman comes in and saves the day, and then you realize, oh, it's not them. This is, like, current yeah. day, quote-unquote. But instead, they instead protract it out, and we see the bad effects where uh, Michael Keaton is drifting into the scene. <laughs> those, those effects where he's, like, landing are so terrible. That, too, yeah. And not only is the, the acting histrionic, as you said, the production design is so artificial. Yeah. And I wonder, and, like, how, how much it has to do with... Because we're not going to get into this yet, but this had a troubled production. <laughs> like, this movie was a mess, and I think it kind of translates on, on screen and how the story plays out. Well, I don't, and I, don't, I wonder, I don't... like, how it also, like, set-wise, and, and also, like you said, like, he should be saving the day. But the family gets mugged, and, he, and their money isn't returned. Their money and possessions exactly. aren't returned. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really save the day. Again, it's too protracted. And the only reason it's protracted is so we can get that one scene where the two muggers are talking about, oh, this Batman character. Yeah. Um, I'm of two minds about the production design. Okay. Because on the one hand, I do kind of like the look and feel of a movie that feels intentionally artificial. I'm, I'm I mean, I know you I, like. I want to be absorbed. I want to. I want to pretend that this is <laughs> that this is real, uh, some form of reality. But I think I appreciate that now, looking back on this movie, because so much of comic book movies now rely on verisimilitude. Well, for for instance, in Thor Ragnarok, in the first ten minutes, there is a very ill-advised joke about how easy it is to get an AR-15 in Texas. Oh. What really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one's talking about that, but there is a gun well because the movie's joke. good, you know. Yeah, exactly. If, if the, the movie wasn't good, we'd be Thor. talking about you know whitewashing. And... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I do kind of appreciate that in the '90s there was this sense that to do a comic book movie, quote unquote, you had to make it kind of artificial or a little bit cartoony. It it reminded me a lot of Darkman, which is a much more successful movie than this. But that movie is very kind of artificial and campy, but a lot of fun. And again, because Sam Raimi knows how to do that yeah. tone, whereas I think Tim Burton, maybe not so much. No. I doubt Tim Burton even knows how to tell a story. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Whew. Well, he's, he's weeping into his millions now. I, how dare yeah. you? <laughs> he's going to call Johnny Depp on the phone. <laughs> I'm so hurt. Will you do another movie with me, please? <laughs> oh, thank God you're alive. I heard you. Fried. Is that what you heard? Set me up over a woman. A woman! Must be insane. (laughs) 
Don't bother. Your life won't be worth spit! I've been dead once already. It's very liberating. You should think of it as, uh, therapy. <laughs> Jack, listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack? Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. Story-wise, this movie's a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a complete mess. I was gonna, you were gonna go. You brought up the um, the current uh, <laughs> uh, screenwriting adage: uh, the get rid of end ends, have your scenes end with either but or therefore. Mm-hmm. I was gonna uh, bring out another screenwriting adage: show don't tell. Mm-hmm. And this is this basically. This rule basically says it's more compelling to show a character through action rather than tell you what the character is like. Mm-hmm. But this movie doesn't show or tell. <laughs> <laughs> it leaves a lot up to assumption, which it, makes it, sense because this is a very uh, famous character, and so everyone pretty much knows Batman at this point. I See, I, I don't know, in 1989, did they? Yeah, that's the kind of weird thing. Like, like obviously, people have had to have known or else they wouldn't have made the movie. Yeah, but the the example I wanted to bring out is because we have this scene where Vicky Vale is introduced to Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Again, in this scene, he's not charming in any way. Like he does nothing to really, you know, to really charm her in any way. But the very next scene, they have a date planned, and I'm like, where, where did this come from? <laughs> well, yeah. So the whole idea is that Vicky Vale is trying to use Bruce Wayne to get to the mayor's office so that they can she can learn about the Batman. Yeah. But again, it like skips over so many of those plot points and goes straight to, oh, I feel so bad that I've been using this man. Secretly, I have feelings for him. And this is after, like, one date. That, yeah, and speaking of that date, there's there's one gag in that date where, again, the, the Wayne mansion is enormous, you know, he's mm-hmm. surrounded by all these opulent trappings, and so their date, they're, they're at a long table and they can barely converse with each other because <laughs> they're so mm-hmm. far away. It's like, pass the salt? What? <laughs> exactly. And the whole, like, uh, do you like this room? He's like, I honestly don't think I've ever been in this room. Yeah. Wah, wah. Yeah, so they then they finish dinner in the kitchen, in this tight little kitchen where uh, Alfred prepares his meals. Mm-hmm. And oh, so that's, so yeah, and so, and she, and speaking of, like, telling, she kind of explains, like, oh, you're not this, you're not this rich weirdo, you're you're a down-to-earth guy, and I think that's what they're trying to convey. <laughs> yeah. But again, like, you kind of have to assume it, or you're not getting enough, either, they're not showing you that he's a down-to-earth normal guy, or that he's enigmatic in any way, they're not even telling you that. <laughs> again, like, I think it's, like you said, either audiences in 1989 knew these things about Bruce Wayne or again this movie just completely leaves you to lurch and up to your own interpretation well it's like the it the movie knows it needs to hit these beats but it's doing it so quickly it just feels so tacked on and speaking of Alfred yeah. he gets the one line that Alfred has to have in every single Batman movie which is I didn't bury Thomas and Martha Wayne so I could bury Bruce Wayne you know this whole his hesitance to help Bruce Wayne be Batman that's the obligatory line that uh, Alfred has to have in every single movie. And uh-huh. so he gets it here at the tail end, and it's like literally that one line, and then he walks off. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, again, like troubled production. It knows the beats it needs to hit. It knows the information it needs to convey to the audience, but it's just like, all right, uh, done. All right, next stop. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> I wanted to bring up, again, <laughs> you think 
the movie's called Batman, you think Batman would be our protagonist, but no. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah. He's the total B-plot. I think, yeah, he's he's the total B-plot, and I, I made a note of this. We don't get a scene where we exclusively follow Batman until about 45 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. And all this scene entails is that he goes home, <laughs> he sits down, uh, Alfred gives him a glass of water, he tells Alfred to investigate something, and then the scene ends. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the only connective tissue we kind of have. Like, again, this this movie's, like, barely missing the... There's no meat to this movie. It's barely missing the tissue. It's barely bones. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, you, you talked about the structure of a James Bond movie. Yeah. The problem is with making Batman movies is that there is no structure to Batman stories. Because <laughs> the Batman story usually is the villain has a circuitous plan that he's trying to execute, and Batman sits in his cave figures out how the plan is going to be done, and then goes stops them. Which uh, is exactly what happens in this movie. Yeah. And that's what ends up happening at a, with a lot of Batman movies, which is why if you actually look at them story-wise, they're usually pretty flat. Yeah. Because well, I think Batman is a passive character. He's sad, a detective. Yeah, sadly, this set a terrible precedent for the rest of the Batman <laughs> mythos, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The rest, of the, the rest of the Batman cinematic endeavors following this. And, mm-hmm. I, John, I didn't want to bring this up. Mm-hmm. But... This hits a lot of the same beats as Batman Begins, and Batman Begins is so superior to this. <laughs> well, again, because it's about Batman. Yeah, like, finally, like, again, it took us six films before this. Or, sorry, five. <laughs> Four. And again, yeah. And, well, there was also the 1966, you know, campaign. Oh, okay, Batman all right, all yeah, right. I guess I forgot I about Adam West. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took also an exceptional filmmaker of Christopher Nolan to realize, like, okay, let's make our Batman movie about Batman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we dedicate the first half to how he actually becomes Batman. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, it's just like thrown off. Like, oh yeah, his parents died. So that's why he has to be Batman. Yeah. And then the other weird thing is like, again, this super fast relationship with Vicky Vale. And you have this awkward scene where he wants to confess to her that he is actually Batman. Like that scene is terrible. <laughs> and it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Like this this relationship he has with uh, Vicky Vale is so truncated that... There's one point where Alfred just lets her into the Batcave. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, let's go back to the... First, let's go back to the scene, yeah, where he wants to confess that he is Batman to Vicky Vale. Mm-hmm. And it points to another problem. Like, there's no chemistry between Michael Keaton and Kim Basinger. I don't like talking about, like, chemistry because it is so subjective, but, mm-hmm. like, you yeah. can just see it. Like, again, there's no... There's so few shots where the, there are two, the two of them together. <laughs> And you can say, oh, that's an artistic choice. I mean, they're they're literally separated by the secret, so yeah, exactly. they should be they're framed living, separately. But They're living separate lives because Bruce Wayne's life is complicated. Yeah, Get he's, it? He's got to be Batman. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, Michael Keaton, again, he gives off nothing. <laughs> no. And Kim Basinger is such a kind of, like, lightweight in this role, too. And you're right, in terms of, like, missing connective tissue, <laughs> later she just comes, I guess she just intuits that he's Batman, or he just goes to Alfred, like, oh, let me show you, like, I don't know, maybe Alfred is, um, uh, sadly sundowning, or, you know, suffering from dementia. <laughs> well, I just like, maybe... oh, right, right here, m'lady. <laughs> and it does exactly. all the complicated, you know, behind the bookshelf and down the pole. And <laughs> like, it feels like there was a scene missing where Vicky Vale goes to Wayne Manor. Yeah, talks to Alfred, going like, "What's going on?" And this would be after the whole like, uh, "I don't like you being Batman." Alfred says, and so Alfred leads her down. But again, we don't get that scene, so it's just like Vicky Vale just appears in the Batcave at one point. Yeah, <laughs> and or maybe we're just left at doing... one point yeah. she, he does rescue Vicky Vale. 
mm-hmm. in the only sequence that works. We'll get to it when we talk about the Joker and Jack Nicholson's performance. Yeah. But he rescues her, takes her to the Batcave, um, and I thought there was going to be the reveal or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, that yeah. would make more sense. Again, this movie's missing. Where Where's the through line here? And I, again, I'll, I'll leave it at the feet of this kind of troubled production and Tim Burton working on, like, five other movies at this point. Like, Warner Brothers, like, we got to put it out at this date and this time. Like, you know... Yeah, this is a huge tentpole merchandising potential. Yeah, with like 15 different screenwriters like, furiously working away <laughs> trying to put this co- cobble this mess together. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like it doesn't show or tell. So <laughs> Again, going back to that whole Vicky Vicky just appears in the Batcave. Yeah. But I guess like yeah, we should talk about the start of the show, which is Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Yes, who is magnificently introduced sitting in a chair. <laughs> It's the brightest spot of the movie because he's having so much fun. I know. Well, it's having so much fun, but it's so disconnected from everything else. <laughs> that is very true. In a very disconnected, disjointed movie. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, if you think about it, none of it makes any sense. Like, he becomes the Joker because he's set up by a fellow gangster to take the fall. Played by Jack Cobbs, yeah. Yeah, this, uh, this, he has a cop on his payroll, and he basically sets up Jack Napier, who's mm-hmm. the Joker. Um, <laughs> I, I, this this line really stuck out to me. So he has this cop on his payroll, and he has the cop. He's gonna have the cop kill Jack, and he's giving orders to the big raid, the other cops who are gonna bust him. And he goes, "Shoot to kill." You know what I mean? Like, is there another <laughs> way to interpret that line? <laughs> oh, shoot to kill one guy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, it's just a lot of weird choices in this movie. Just yeah. like a lot of weird. What if we say no? Well, Tony, <laughs> nobody wants a war. <laughs> if we can't do business, why, we'll just shake hands and that'll be it. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. <laughs> yeah, speaking. Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you something that's not weird, and that's Jack Nicholson as Jack Napier. Mm-hmm. Because it again, I point to this like kind of lackluster introduction. Like usually, you want like. Again, let's compare this to Skyfall. <laughs> we introduce Javier Bardem's <laughs> villain with like this long monologue, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's got and you know James Bond is tied up, and you know there's there's a great you know dialogue following that. But this, he's just sitting in a chair. Um, he meets treats women again, connecting <laughs> to Hollywood industry standards. <laughs> <laughs> they plan a drug deal, or he he shakes down a, a corrupt cop. Mm-hmm. But like again, I I didn't know like what did he want like what is what was he doing sort of like he just kind of shows up in scenes looks looks intimidating, and then eventually goes to the chemical factory and becomes the Joker. Yeah, like and so like this first scene like I wanted, I think at this point they didn't know that spoiler alert, <laughs> Jack Napier was going to be the person who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. <laughs> yes, yeah. But Which again, is... if they like establish that earlier or establish like that Jack Napier wants something. Mm-hmm. Like even to be the biggest criminal in the, in the city or something like that, and does something diabolical. He doesn't do anything diabolical. Like he's 
he's like barely a character at this point. No, and that's the, yeah, and again, it goes back to that whole Bruce Wayne problem. It's like you're such a weirdo, Bruce Wayne. It's like we know he's a psycho because you're a psycho, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't see him like act intimidating or psycho esque at all. No, and it's only after he becomes the Joker do we see like the craziness that he's capable of. Yeah, but again, that's not set up by anything in the first fifteen minutes where he's just playing. He's strictly well, playing Jack Napier. Let's let's talk about a little history. Let's talk about the comics, shall we? <laughs> sure. This is inspired by a um, a Alan Moore penned story called The Killing Joke. Yeah. Well, it's really inspired by the whole sea change that uh, Batman underwent. Um, Mm-hmm. From again, starting starting in like detective comics, like you know, like <laughs> hot crackers, Batman. We've got a caper, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to a silly, campy sixty TV show to in the eighties, dark, brooding, gothic. Well, yeah, and that's started, what really inspired. Yeah, movie. it started in the seventies, and oh, okay, I thought it was. It the 80s. started, yeah, um, and the Killing Joke is obviously one of the kind of big stories, and it talks about this origin of the Joker, which is very similar to this. Uh, story. He's kind of a patsy for the mob, but the whole point is the fact that he's a patsy and he's very milk toast. He's very weak. Mm-hmm. He's a very weak-willed character. So there's a and contrast. he's a comedian, I think. Yeah, he's a failed comedian. Yeah. He just wants to make people laugh. So he's like this kind of weak-willed, sad character to start, and then after the chemical bath, he comes out this monster. We get this baptism by fire. We get this transformation. We don't really get that in this movie. No. <laughs> well, it's kind of combined like. He's got to be a gangster. Like, again, he can't just be a failed comedian or something like that. He can't be weak-willed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, again, we have to set up later that he's the guy who he has this personal connection to Batman. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So and instead, it, we, he just gets no personality whatsoever. No, yeah. So he gets nothing until... Yeah. So it's more like the me- they set up the mechanics of the of the origin story. It's like they built the engine with no car around it. <laughs> again, they just got to hit the plot points. We hit the plot point. All right, moving on. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But you're right, it is having a lot of fun, and I guess where it is effective is is how, like, horrific and that the Joker can act. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's one thing, I mean, this is ostensibly marketed to kids, pretty much. That is true, yeah. But there is one and... scene kind of ripped out of um, The Untouchables, <laughs> where they have a meeting of the mob, and uh, the Joker comes in and uh, takes out a mob member. In The Untouchables, it's with a baseball bat. In this scene, it's with a, uh, a, a <laughs> an electrocuting uh, hand Joy buzzer. buzzer. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's a it's a it's a horrific scene or whatever. Again, I wish it was connected to anything else, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very weird how quickly he kind of falls into that whole thematic scheme. Because again, like the idea is that usually it's Batman who causes his villains to kind of be more operatic as they go along. Instead, it's <laughs> the Joker just kind of like does this based out of nowhere. Like now his face is messed up, so now he's like, "All right, now my henchmen are going to be dressed like mimes." Yes, <laughs> yeah. Now I look like a clown. I'm going to go full bore into this clown theme. <laughs> exactly. My flower spits acid. I have an electro joy buzzer. Again, like where is? I know the whole point of the Joker is the fact that we're not supposed to really know any logic or get any insight into his psyche, but for a story, you kind of need it, and there's really nothing here. It's like, he goes after the cosmetics industry, he destroys an art museum, it's he like... He plays on people's greed, because he eventually, like, to bring back the 200, the bicentennial anniversary... Yeah, he brings back the parade after they decide to cancel it, and it says like I'm going to give away money, and that's what draws this crowd. Mm-hmm. And so he's and playing he's... off people's greed, I suppose. And he's just going to poison everybody because yeah. he just wants to kill people. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and I know that's the whole point of the Joker is just he's an anarchic spirit who just wants to sow chaos. <laughs> but it's it, like, it is if you establish it and explain it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's and yeah, they don't explain that. And it also implies when he kills the other mob bosses, like maybe he's doing it for the money. He wants power. He wants control. Yeah. But then he doesn't anymore. <laughs> yeah. Again, let's maybe contrast it with uh, another interpretation of the Joker that did it better. Oh, what, what's that? Um, it's in the original 1966 Batman movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cesar Romero. <laughs> let's talk about Cesar Romero, the most yeah. famous interpretation of the yeah, Joker. Yeah, absolutely. Oscar nominated. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about Heath Ledger. Obviously. <laughs> and we'll get back to... I'll I'll explain <laughs> why why this looks so bad, especially in light of every Batman movie following this, which is probably superior, with the exception of maybe Batman Forever. <laughs> in that movie, there's again we see our our initial mil- villains are the mob, mm-hmm. and they're kind of weak willed against Batman against Batman, so they bring on this force that's the Joker, mm-hmm. and I think Christopher Nolan explained he wanted him to be like the shark in Jaws, to be this kind of like force that keeps coming in and out sort of mm-hmm. um but you see later um the mob collects all their money and the joker literally just burns it yeah and that's where the intimidation and the 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 explanation of his kind of character comes from it's it's kind of interpreted through other characters and you see like even even our bad guys in the mob are intimidated by this guy so you know again mm-hmm. it's that little those little things sort of mm-hmm that are the just explained, yeah. yeah. Those little touches that just make that make a make a story more coherent and better and more engaging yeah. and just better. Yeah, it's amazing how good a story can be when you think it out. <laughs> yeah, when you're not not rushing with like 15 different people and actors who don't know what they're doing because they have to meet a deadline. <laughs> when you don't just have this amount of film you need to shoot in a day, so let's just shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I was gonna. There's one sequence that I like. Mm-hmm. It's the only sequence that lasts longer but than about four minutes, so it seems like they plan that up first. <laughs> uh, the Joker knows that Vicky Vale has some connection to Batman, I believe. Yeah. And so she he coerces her on a date in the art museum. Mm-hmm. Now, Vicky Vale thinks it's going to be, like, here we go, but <laughs> Vicky Vale <laughs> thinks that he's gonna, she's going to meet Bruce Wayne there. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, she goes there, Batman finds out about this, and so... Again, a character who we've come, kind of come to, at this point in the movie, we've kind of come to know who Vicky Vale is, and we, we identify with her, and we want, we want to see her survive this situation. Mm-hmm. But it kind of combines the, the anarchic qualities of the Joker with the heroism of Batman, with, you know, the, the sympathy that we've elicited for, or the sympathy that we've drawn out of um, Vicky Vale's character. And so that art, that whole art museum, with a great song by Prince, <laughs> yes. Party Man. <laughs> yes, we we need to talk about Prince. <laughs> so that sequence, I I will acknowledge that that sequence works because again, I feel like it was planned out and <laughs> just fits sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works on its own. Like everything, everything is as it should be, sort of. Like all the puzzle pieces have finally come together in a.
yeah, it, it, it's, again, I don't want it to sound like I'm completely down on this movie, but no, I think there's there's some good qualities to it, but you're yeah. right, it's just overall it's a complete mess. Yeah, and like one of the most kind of like the worst parts about the movie is they didn't really have an ending for it. <laughs> no, I guess they knew they wanted to do this centennial parade. Speaking of what, I mean, I, I alluded to earlier, Christopher Nolan, in his interpretation, the Joker wanted the Joker to be like Jaws. Mm-hmm. And again, speaking of things that don't work in this movie, again, there's no reason for them to main, keep on, keep the bicentennial on. <laughs> well, no, and they don't. It's all Exa- the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the Joker. And again, like apparently that's also supposed to explain why there's no policemen at that parade. Yeah. Which I had to like read elsewhere, like why there was no policemen at that parade. <laughs> it's explained in the novelization. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the ending, like he kidnaps Vicky Vale. Mm. And again, his interest in Vicky Vale doesn't really make any sense. He's trying to use her to get to the Batman, which is kind of a nice parallel to him trying to use Bruce Wayne. But again, these these beats just happen so quickly. It just kind of like falls out of your mind yeah and they climb up this cathedral and the problem is with this movie is like batman should be this kind of presence and this force Mm -hmm. he should be like this folk hero and he should just like appear and like surprise you but the problem is they never really do that like with the opening scene we see batman kind of tail them for a bit and we see batman tailor to assail the guys who assaulted the family yeah and we see uh, Batman crash his plane at the climax of the movie, mm-hmm. and like we should be led to believe, oh, he's dead. But no, he uh, gets up. You know, he's clearly like bruised and battered, but you know, he starts following them, and we watch in real time <laughs> as they climb the stairs of this cathedral. Yeah, and it's like, how much better would it have been if we had le- we were led to believe that Batman were actually dead, and that the Joker is actually going to get away, and then all of a sudden Batman appear. Like that, how cool would that be? That would instead be of like better. the yeah, John instead you of this, have been hired. <laughs> I know I've well Hollywood, you know. If you, if you want somebody who's door. not going to sexually assault anybody, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so instead, we get this stupid climax at the top of this cathedral, which is somehow the tallest building in Gotham. With like Do they say ninjas. That? The, okay, the worst part about this movie is the uh, Joker apparently has ninjas on his payroll. Just out of nowhere. And I don't, I don't know ninjas. if they're trying to, like... They're, I don't know if they're trying to ape that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's one that has two swords, and then, you know, Batman instantly disposes of him, but then there's, like, this big, tough black guy who, like, you know, like, you think is almost going to get him, but then Batman throws him over the edge. It's just... it's so Yeah, it's dumb. very reminiscent of Wild Wild West. <laughs> when he goes... When um, Jim West, played by Will Smith, goes to these different levels of baddies. In case you need a reminder. Yeah. You know, and the, that, the classic Wild Wild West. Yes, that movie was also produced by John Peters, mm-hmm. who got his start in Hollywood as, I believe, Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. <laughs> so this is the man you want producing your, your quality superhero flicks. <laughs> yes. We're diving into Hollywood history here, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the kind of information you'll get from us. Yep. And he eventually disposes of the Joker by tying him to a uh, gargoyle as oh, the helicopter's yeah, it's not, taking Yeah, it's a little convoluted. And, yeah. Like, they flip over the edge. Again, it's like every other climax you've ever seen from a high place. Yeah, they're, they're like literally the cliffhanger. Yeah. He's dangling, you know, you save I think, yeah, and I, I think, I can't confirm this, but I think they shot this end sequence and Jack Nicholson and the other characters were like, wait, why am I going up here? 
<laughs> and this is when they kind of rewrote and reshot a scene where it's like, oh, that that's Joker's exca- uh, escape plan. Yes. And also to pad the running time, he mentions to the walkie-talkie, when he's talking to the walkie-talkie, like, to get the helicopter to come to him, he says, uh, make it 10 minutes. And it literally plays out in real time. <laughs> For 10 minutes, we watch them walk up these stairs. Yeah. <laughs> really lost me at this point. Nice. Yeah, I've... But, John, you got a cool bat signal at the end. <laughs> Great. We got our nod to that, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, this movie does sensation well. Like a lot of movies in the 80s, it was just sensation. It was just one scene, like one set piece after another. Exactly. But, yeah, there's there's not enough set pieces in about the first 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, like, again, without anything established, it's just a loose connection of just scenes. <laughs> yeah. And, again, this movie obviously really connected with kids. Like, just the merchandising potential <laughs> that's, alone. Yeah. That's that's the other thing. So, we should probably explain, no, we are not 80s kids. <laughs> we're not we were born. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were literally born a year before this movie was made. So, by by this point, like, if if there are any, you know, hardcore fans of this movie that come back, like, oh, you don't understand, this is the original. You know, we have to, you know, we'll, we'll tell you whatever, Grandpa. We had a great cartoon <laughs> series and Christopher Nolan movies, you know. <laughs> Which I'm sure in in years, you know, there's going to be another movie version of Batman, and we're going to be like, well, no, the the Christopher Nolan movies are the epitome of this series, and and you know, the, those kids will be on Snapchat saying whatever, Grandpa, the Lego Batman movie is clearly superior, and they'll be right too. <laughs> I mean, I I shudder the thought of the kids in their hollow decks being like, Ugh, wasn't Ben Affleck the best Batman ever? <laughs> but I, John, and you know what? To, I can't argue. We, we can't I can't prove argue. Them wrong, can we? we can't I know. Prove we them can't. Wrong. We can't prove them wrong. Because I'll, I, you know, my hollow deck is just broken, and I'm like, I don't understand this newfangled technology. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> there are immortal lines like "I'm rich." <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> Justice League coming out this Friday. <laughs> the excitement is palpable. Yeah. God, can you imagine if Thor Ragnarok beat it at the weekend? Uh, beat the weekend box office that movie. Oh, God. John, no, you will see bodies flying out of windows <laughs> oh. at the at the Warner Brothers offices. I swear, John, they really got to ride this. Come on, they need this. People, people, come on. The the, the fine folks at the WB need your support <laughs> now more than ever. This is not For an just endorsement. Twelve dollars and two and a half hours of your time. This is not an endorsement, but you know, come on, come on, yeah. They're not Marvel. They need it. they need a win. Well, we'll wait till see how it does in China. Okay. That's yeah. that's what's important. Yeah, exactly. John, we've gone to some dark places here. Yes, we have. Yeah. So dark. Mm-hmm. The dark night of the soul. <laughs> the dark night of the... We're mixing metaphors here. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> but how about we turn on the bat signal, a.k.a. Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes, bring some light into this dangerous situation. 
Well, I mean, I was racking my brain trying to think of something Batman-related that I really enjoyed. So obviously I could talk for hours about Batman mm-hmm. the Animated Series. Because uh, <laughs> hashtag 90s kids. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, everyone already knows how great that show was. Mm-hmm. But then I also want to talk about Superman the Animated Series, which is kind of like the red-headed stepchild, even though that show is still kind really? of great. Yeah. It's still great. Come on, you talked about it last week. You were like your favorite episode. Uh, no, but Clark who Kent. says it's the red-headed stepchild? Who said that? It just doesn't get as much love. Okay. Because obviously people don't love Superman the same way they love Batman. Yeah. And you know, it, it again aesthetically, it's just completely different. Instead of kind of the dark noirish touches of the Batman animated series, it's more that kind of angular '50s like rah rah, aren't yeah. things great? <laughs> kind of style. You know, everything's bathed in sunlight. So. Yeah. Um, but then I also wanted to bring up Justice League. Yeah. So Batman what I'm going rec- I mean, yeah, I'm gonna recommend the DC animated universe, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing. Okay. Uh, it was a series of four TV shows, eh, five if you kind of split Justice League into two. Um, five TV shows produced by Paul Dini and Bruce Timm. Yes. Starting with Batman the Animated Series, eventually they spun it off into Superman the Animated Series. And they had a few crossover episodes, which are all delightful. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, they did a sequel series called Batman Beyond, where Batman is an old crotchety man who kind of <laughs> now becomes the man in the chair to yes. a new generation of Batman. Whose name is Terry McGinnis or something like that. This, this, yeah. in terms of like Hollywood out of ideas, you've got gold here. <laughs> like, I can't exactly. believe they, made a, they haven't made a Batman <laughs> Beyond movie yet. Come on. I know, come on. It's like, it's the greatest idea ever. A new generation of Batman. This well is just waiting to be tapped. (laughs) And so, Hollywood, hey, come on. You want two guys, again, who aren't going to sexually assault people. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying I already have something drawn out, but... I have a a script mint. (laughs) Look, it's 400 pages. I can cut it down, but I think I can make a lot of pictures, too. A lot of cartoon doodles. Yeah, a lot of fan art. Well, not fan art, sorry. Concept sketches. (laughs) (laughs) And then eventually they parlayed this into a Justice League series, which I revisited, and it's it's not as great as I thought it was. I could have told you that. I mean, yeah. Oh, come on. (laughs) By by this point, we were kind of outgrowing (laughs) Saturday morning. No, I loved the Justice League series because. I know, I didn't. I I was not a fan. You really? No. For me, it was the epicness of it. Because ah. every episode was an hour long, which is very rare for an animated series. Really? Wow. And then, well, I mean, it split it up into two half hours. Okay. And then also it was letterboxed. So every oh, episode, right. every episode is... felt like an event. Yeah, this is like early I was 2000s watching, like, when we moved yeah. into HDTVs and just wider aspect ratios, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, revisiting it on uh, Netflix, I kind of like realized that it's like, oh, it's an hour because they mercilessly stretch everything out. <laughs> <laughs> There's like was, beats between every line of dialogue <laughs> to yeah. just kind of like make everything stretch. Yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, this kind of series started very organically with Batman actually just fighting gangsters. I mean, Mark Hamill didn't play the Joker until I think later, right? No, I think a third episode in. Third episode. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah, there. sorry. I Whatever. I but I mean, it's again like again like the Joker is a gangster level villain. Yeah. He's not like Mr. Freeze. He's not yeah. something like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, but it, again, it starts very organically and grounded with Batman, then moves into Superman, and mm-hmm. but by the time you get here, not only are you saying it's protracted, but also I'm going to say some superfluous characters like Martian Manhunter and <laughs> hey. Hawkman. Hey, first of all, <laughs> Hawkman does not appear until like 
Justice League Unlimited. Okay, okay. they put in they put in Hawk Girl because they needed some female representation. Okay, you're right, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't get like truly ridiculous until you get into Justice League Unlimited, which was kind of the uh, sister series to Justice League. That one they did more self-contained half-hour shows, but then had longer kind of season arcs where they have to fight like Luther who has a master plan or Amanda Waller and her project Cadmus uh clandestine government Cadmus uh, Everdeen what no Cadmus Cad- project Cadmus Cad- I can explain all this in greater detail I, yeah again I hope I hope everyone's enjoying this conversation of two grown men talking about children's <laughs> cartoons how dare you sir they are appropriate for all ages okay it says four plus on the box <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, revisiting them, they still kind of held up for me, and I like to think that there is a lot of good craft to it, and it's not just nostalgia. Yeah. Not just stuffing my face at four o'clock on weekdays watching <laughs> this for the upteenth time. Yeah. Like so, they are really well-made stories and really well animated. Yeah. If we do have any younger fans, please, we implore you to look at these and tell us whether we're objectively right or objectively wrong about the quality of these shows. <laughs> oh, please! They're gonna just be on Twitter all day, just like whatever, Grandpa. <laughs> It's not a thirty-minute YouTube. It's not a thirty-second YouTube video. I know. Yeah, put it in Vine form and then maybe I'll watch. <laughs> Selfie. <laughs> Stupid kids. I hate the younger generation. I absolutely. <laughs> they're actively replacing they're, me. And they're the worst generation of all time. The worst. <laughs> they're worse than the generation before it. <laughs> what do you have for spotlight, Greg? Well, John, speaking of old men, <laughs> four old crotchety white men. <laughs> Complaining about things. Well, so, not complaining about things, but um, we've never talked about the venerable Red Letter Media. Oh, we have not. No, this is a, well, I guess right now they're primarily a YouTube channel, but it's mm-hmm. a little independent film production company based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, the hotbed started... of movies, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and it started by a guy named Mike Staklasa. Um They're most famous for a character named Mr. Plinkett. Who is a mm-hmm. depraved seventy-year-old um, man, or sorry, hundred-plus-year-old man, <laughs> who does these very long takedowns of movies like Star Wars, the prequels, and Star Trek, but no the really cares about films. the Star Trek yeah. movies mm-hmm. because Mike Sklossy is the yeah, biggest that, Star Trek nerd imaginable. Yeah, they're, yeah, I wouldn't call them takedowns. I mean, they're just incisive film analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, it's it's kind of crotchety, but still very funny. <laughs> the, the levels of depravity that they go. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking older white male humor. <laughs> uh, but they do do some other quality programming, such as a movie review show called Half in the Bag. Mm-hmm. And my favorite show, which I want to spotlight here, is called Best of the Worst. Ah. Now, these, these guys are all cinephiles, but they also, in, in that, they also love schlocky, bad B-movies. Mm-hmm. And this movie kind of shines a spotlight on some of their favorite B-movies. Um, sometimes doesn't always work out. <laughs> Most they, of the time, they're frequently bored. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of the time, um, they they select movies at random through a, a much of elaborate, you know, wheels and uh, plinko machines and things like that. <laughs> um, and it doesn't always work out, but they always kind of they always find a way to ring laughs, even out of the worst movies. Um, mm. But more often than not, I, I will say more often than not, they do find diamonds in the rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, in particular, this what really the impetus for was their last episode where they exclusively focus on one movie, a very, very special movie <laughs> called Suburban Sasquatch. Mm. Now, this is a movie that you would find in a uh, Walmart D- $5 DVD bin. $5? Come on. Even Walmart. Uh, John, $5 for like a six DVD pack, horror pack. Okay. <laughs> 
about it. Like, I'm talking about that level of quality. Shot on video in the early 2000s <laughs> in, I believe, Media, Pennsylvania. Again, another hotbed of the entertainment industry. <laughs> the movie uh, focuses on, well, the theme, as the director explains in the behind-the-scenes uh, documentaries on the DVD, <laughs> are about a uh, man encroaching on nature. And oh. hence the suburban of the title. <laughs> when really this is a this is uh multiple people. <laughs> I, I looked at the, I looked this movie up and um in the credits there are multiple people credited as Bigfoot, <laughs> um waddling around um in a series of ridiculous scenes where uh Bigfoot attacks uh suburban dwellers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And in, in particularly in Best of the Worst, um, it's this episode is great how it's kind of broken up into chapters and they talk about <laughs> how every level of this movie is is atrociously entertaining. <laughs> Greg, the important question is, is it better or worse than Harry and the Hendersons? Oh, it's, this far exceeds Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> how dare you, good sir? I, how I, dare I, you? Well, John, only because we we, we earnestly feel for John Lithgow. Oh, however, we, however, we the the amount that you can relish in the embarrassment <laughs> of all these people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I gotta say, a... I in spite those, I think what makes it special is those behind the scenes documentary where the the director, a guy named David Waskevich, mm-hmm. is earnestly talking like a real director. Oh, so but I I'll give him this. There's like kind of no shame to it, sort of. Mm. Like well, no, the, that's amount, what, the amount. That's of, what makes a bad good movie work is the earnestness behind it yeah so there is like a level of earnestness but also that in spite of how bad it is on every level mm-hmm. like you're not going to keep him down like he's still gonna because he's done movies after this his last movie was in 2010 and i think he's directed five which is oh, five wow. more than five more movies than i've ever directed so <laughs> kudos to him um yeah so yeah i, th- I think it coming from that kind of earnest place does make this a very, very special movie on what is a very, very special program. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of funny how much we enjoy Best of the Worst, because we're not really schlocky, schlockmeisters ourselves. No, I, I, honestly, I don't even like B-movies. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel kind of embarrassed and sad. Like, I don't think, like, let me, let me pull up an example, like Birdemic or something like that. This is a, this is a classic example of a, of a, movie like i i would never want to sit through that again <laughs> yeah a- again like as as much fun as it is like kind of schadenfreude to laugh at like how pathetic it is that adults are making this uh, this kind of low level quality yeah it, it's not something that i relish in and no. so <laughs> what i think is great about best of the worst is they they do kind of the service in that we can kind of extract the best parts of these movies and then talk about them not only in a funny way but also again like those plinket reviews are very analytical kind of way <laughs> that is true yeah. they watch the bad movies so we don't have to exactly so it is a public service yeah i mean i can't like the last time i think we actually sat down to watch a movie that we knew was going to be atrocious was the room yeah and that was like years ago so yeah that was years ago and and even then i mean <laughs> and there's a reason it's a bad movie it's slow and boring and doesn't know how to entertain an audience <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah again i don't seek this out and again i don't feel i don't feel good like sitting on my own watching you know well no and that's pointing and thing. laughing at tommy Wiseau or other that's the thing about good bad movies they're meant to be watched in a group yeah in a group with you know like mystery science theater like you know throwing out comments or exactly yeah 
Yeah. But again, like I don't have friends that would do that. <laughs> you and I don't want to do that together, so <laughs> we're the only friends each other have. <laughs> don't don't go that far. <laughs> it's true. It's not it's true. true. <laughs> it's not true. I have many friends. <laughs> I have many, I'm the most I, popular guy in my school. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you excuse me, I have to go parasailing with movie stars. Exactly. <laughs> we're gonna talk all about our sexual conquests. <laughs> Speaking of friends, yeah. maybe you can be our friends on Facebook. Absolutely. Why don't you go over to the Aspiring Snobs Facebook page and give us a like? Yeah. Or go to our Twitter feed and give us a follow, at Aspiring Snobs. Mm-hmm. We're taking recommendations right now, so if you want to give us a recommendation, you can reach out to us there. Or yeah. you can email us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. Absolutely. And actually, give us a little feedback. How are you listening to these episodes? Yes, because we are literally on so many platforms, we can't even keep track anymore. Yeah, it, whether it be, let us know if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, mm-hmm. Podbean, mm-hmm. Uh, A-Player, Player FM, um, whether it just transmitted straight to your brain through some you know, f- magical you know, forward-thinking technology that we haven't even heard of yet. What is this strange ability that you have, and are you an X-Man? Yes. I, I, again, we would love to get, have an X-Man on the show. Yes, please. Reach yes. out to us if you yes. are a mutant. John, I mean, I think in a future episode we have to talk about these mutants in these X-Man movies. <laughs> what would you say is the best X-Man movie? That would be have to be um, X D X-Man United. <laughs> X-Moon United. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what it's not. Uh, X-Man, uh, The Last Stand, <laughs> The Last Night. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever, they're all fine. And Brian Singer's career is going to be over tomorrow, so That's we don't true. have to worry about it. Oh, he's already weathered that storm. Uh, Sadly. Not this one. Not this. No, this is. <laughs> that wave is cresting again. Yeah, this is this is a brave new world, John. We have hurricane after hurricane. You're not going to survive long. <laughs> Those sea walls are coming down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those levees ain't holding anymore. Yeah. Again, we don't want it to sound flippant again, but I, I, unfortunately, like how John, how do you negotiate your love of art with the the people behind it being such monsters? Exactly. And I, it, I think in the past I could separate it, but yeah, not all today. I can do is just grab my collar and go. Ooh, <laughs> exactly. Well, we can. If we have any comfort in knowing we would never engage in this behavior, because um, we're not powerful and or ugly <laughs> enough to do it. Uh, that's why are you trying too. to? I why are you trying I, to like just? Why are you trying to like abscond, like absolve yourself? You're like I would never because do this. I feel like I, I, again this 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 sickening this sickening behavior has infected literally everything. It's infected our politics. It's infected our our beloved entertainment. It's true. So I think uh, society needs a reset and we should institute <laughs> the purge. You know what, North Korea, have at it. America needs a reset. You're good to go. No, bro, we're on the West Coast. Let's go. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, we gotta go. <laughs> maybe, maybe Florida first. Florida. Yeah. That's a strategic position. Go, yeah. go there first. Alabama. Yeah, attack yeah. Alabama first. We're gonna be off next week, recording from. Uh, uh, we're gonna be recording from Lewiston, Maine. <laughs> Far away from any uh, enemy combatant missiles. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. John, speaking of which, what are we going to be watching next week? Next week, diving into some government secrets. Ooh. With all this declassified information, we have to revisit the 1991 Oliver Stone film, JFK. Yeah. 
Speaking of sexual assaulters, too. <laughs> really? Actually, yep. that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he survived this. Maybe it's because I don't, nobody cares what he has to say anymore. So <laughs> That's why we're revisiting it, Greg. Mm-hmm. We can we can get a glimpse into his drug-addled mind. Yeah. Oh, it's not... It's not I don't think drugs is what feeds that. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be some explanation, right? Sure. Maybe his experiences in Vietnam. I don't know. It just can't be what Putin's feeding him, right? It's got to be more than that, right? Uh, we'll find out next week. Yes, we will. So until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>